you need a role, you get it posted, you write a job description with your HR person or your recruiter, and then you sit back and you wait. And that's not going to find the people you want. That's going to be the people who want to work for you. It doesn't always match. Listening to the B2B Sales Show, a podcast dedicated to helping B2B sales professionals master the art and science of selling. If you want to hear what successful sales leaders and individual contributors are doing to break into new accounts, close more deals, and drive revenue for their organizations, you've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the B2B Sales Show. I'm Logan Lyles with Sweetfish Media. Guys, I've got with me today, Dan Wardle. He's the VP of Revenue over at Vidyard. Dan, how's it going today, man? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You and I were chatting via email a while back, and we got into this discussion about hiring, scaling, onboarding, everything as you're growing a sales team remote or in person. And I thought we just have to have you have this conversation and share it with our listeners. So I'm excited to dig into this with you today. Before we do that, though, I would love for you to give a little bit of context to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about your background, sales career, and also what you and the team at Vidyard are up to these days, man. For sure. Yeah. So I've been here at Vidyard for over six years now, which uh, is a lifetime in startup speak. So I you know, started as one of the first salespeople. I run the sales org now. So we have teams of BDRs, SDRs, sales teams, solution consulting, all that fun stuff. Before Vidyard Life, though, I did have uh, some other sales roles as well. I worked at Salesforce as an account executive up in the Toronto office, and I was at BlackBerry during all the good times managing channel accounts there and managing AT&T. So just a ton of different varying experience on the the sales side. Yeah, for sure. And for folks listening to this that aren't familiar with what you guys do at Vidyard, you want to give us a little context there? For sure. Yeah. So Vidyard is a video platform for any area of your business. You know, you can use it as a salesperson to be communicating with your customers. You can use it from a marketing perspective to see who's watching videos on your website and get more leads converting, or you can use it in support to, you know, answer questions way faster than you can instead of typing them out or making a knowledge base article. Yeah, it's it's amazing, man. I've used different tools to record and send videos over the years, whether it's a screen share or just a personal message. And one of the things that surprised me is the time saved by doing video. Most people think, oh, video is just this huge time investment, but I can talk way faster than I can type. And I don't have to worry about, oh, I've got to retype this because maybe I'm not getting across the right you know, emotion or delivery, but I don't have to worry about that with sending video. So anyway, we could dive into that all day long. For today's conversation, though, we're going to be talking about scaling your sales team, specifically hiring and onboarding. And you've got five tips you want to take listeners through today. I know the first one is about not relying too much on recruiting and HR. Unpack that a little bit for us, man. For sure. I find that a lot of sales leaders and other executives in the company too, you need a role you get it posted, you write a job description with your HR person or your recruiter, and then you sit back and you wait. And that's not going to find the people you want. That's going to be the people who want to work for you. It doesn't always match. Maybe they're not very good. So for me, we are salespeople. We should be able to reach out to the right people, whether it's in LinkedIn or wherever it might be, to get connected with them. And also the biggest difference there is, you know, you could suggest to your recruiter to reach out, but everyone gets recruiter emails all the time. How often does a VP of sales or a sales manager reach out to you asking for a conversation? You'll probably take that meeting. So now your hit rate on who you want to target 
increases dramatically because even if it's not an interview and it becomes more of a peer-to-peer, it's still a valuable connection. I love that, man. It's definitely a change up. Anytime you look at, okay, what is the norm? Where can I provide a pattern interrupt? Your rates of reply or anything are going to be higher. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Dan, because I'm not sure you know what your strategy has been here, but I've talked to other VPs of sales and sales leaders that have been purposefully putting out more content, especially on LinkedIn, as kind of that brand awareness, not necessarily for their brand, but for their sales team and for themselves as the sales leader to try and warm up those folks that, hey, if if they're consuming content on LinkedIn, they're probably either active prospecting or they're looking for professional development. So those are the type of salespeople that I probably want on my team. So I want them to know who I am. Any of that been part of your strategy and kind of this tip of not just relying on recruiting for finding the right people, attracting them and getting them in your hiring funnel? I'll admit I haven't done a spectacular job of that personally. I do it once in a while, but one of my sales managers does a spectacular job. He actually just did a post yesterday. We finished out a quarter. His team did very, very well. And so he posted on there about how well they're doing, what the sales methodology is they're using, how they do training, how they do coaching, which sounds self-serving until you think of it in exactly what you just said, where it's because people who are on LinkedIn reading this content are missing something. Their manager's not giving them the support they need, whatever it might be. And then they see someone like that posting all these things about how they support the team. And that makes them want to talk to to that person. And so Evan Santa, easy name to remember on my team. Uh, Follow him on LinkedIn. He's got lots of great content. I love it, man. So another one of your tips has been to look at community involvement that maybe your your team as a whole is already doing or things that your sales team can do, again, to find the places where your top recruits, the people that, as you put it, that you actually want on your sales team are hanging out and how you can engage with them uh, before that, that first interview. Tell us a little bit about your strategy and some of the tactics you use there, man. The interesting thing that I find is as you progress in your career and in your life, you you now have a family at home, you've got other commitments, but now you're the manager or you're the VP. And so then you stop going to, you know, the the young sales professional events or the the different meetups that happen. And that's where you can make these connections. And when you go there, all of the, the younger, you know, newer salespeople will gravitate to you, assuming you are a bit older. And that is just showing like, I'm here to support you. I'm going to teach you how to be a sales professional long-term. And it doesn't even have to be a sales-specific event. We do a ton of different charity work, a ton of different events at universities and things. And that's where you can just naturally get the right applicants later on. So I find that a huge one. To be honest, right after this interview, I'll be heading down to, to meet someone at a coffee shop that I met at the last sales event I was at. So I try to do at least one a month in the local area myself. And I challenge each of the sales managers to do the same. Because each one I go to, I tend to meet three or four people that I want to talk to. You know, I, there's 10 people that want to talk to me, but I'll probably want to talk to three of them. And then you can start nurturing them and make sure that you know, they're well prepared for, for the job when you have an opening. Yeah. And the other thing too, that that probably does is gives you a better indicator, you know, as opposed to wading through those LinkedIn profiles and those resumes that your recruiters are giving you, you have one conversation and something is off or you just realize, ah, this, this person isn't the right candidate for us or not today. They're not far enough along for what we're looking for. And it probably eliminates some of that hiring and interviewing time that is just part of the day-to-day life of every sales leader, right? 
That is huge. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, I, I meet maybe 10 people that I don't really want to talk to, but it, I was only there for an hour and a half. And whereas that would have been 10 hours of interviews. So you save a huge amount of time just by going to those events. And yeah, they're going to be after hours or early morning, but take that one day a month out of your schedule and make an effort towards it. I love it. For as important as it is to, for us to find the right sales candidates for our team, it's it's worth that time investment, right? So I love what you're talking about there, Dan. Your third tip for sales leaders that are growing their team was thinking about the life raft team analogy, looking at the balance of skills that you need, whether your team is five or 50, you've got to think about balancing out the right set of skills and getting people in the right seats on the bus, right? Exactly. I always reference the Extreme Ownership book by Jocko. Uh, he's an ex-Marine. And it, although sometimes you're like, wow, this guy's really intense. When you read <laughs> through it and you realize, you know, there's one section of the book that talks about the life raft exercise they do uh, in the Marine Corps. And the, you know, the one boat is falling behind constantly. And once you fall behind, you then have a disadvantage the whole time. And so it, the guy who was leading the first boat decided, you know what, I'm going to switch with that leader because I'm going to see what his team needs to get better. And he figured out, you know, there's this person who's a bit slower. There's this person who's a bit weaker from a strength perspective, but you mix them in the right way. You put them in the right area of the boat and your boat will succeed. And that's the way I always think of it. You know, especially if I hire a new manager and maybe they're not as strong about the core vidyard knowledge, but they're amazing salespeople. So they know how to do a discovery. They know how to do the closing, like make sure that they're supporting the reps in that way. And the reps can become the vidyard meat in the middle. And so just looking for that, and this is another area where when you're in these events, meeting all these people, you can start to pull out those different character traits. And when you have your next job opening, you know, you know what, I think that person is going to be right for this role because they've got all the experience, but just haven't been in software before. But we've got a ton of people who we've trained on software. So let's bring them in from telecom or whatever industry they're in today. And uh, they'll be a great addition to the team you know, whether it's because they're just like a grinder and, and you know, they're going to hit the ground running, or maybe you need somebody who's actually more of a, you know, an order taker, customer experience type person and very different personas that you have to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. I want to come back to your comment there about a grinder, but I have to ask a question because I've seen some pretty passionate debates and posts on this idea on LinkedIn, especially within SaaS, that there are a lot of tech startups that will not hire someone who doesn't have SaaS experience. It sounds like you've got a little bit of a nuanced take on that, or at least something to say. So maybe expand on that a little bit, how you guys approach it how, and how you personally think about, you know, that experience and the qualities needed for success. And, and how do you balance evaluating all of that? And is someone potentially a good fit for your sales team? I'll cover two topics in here because I think it's important. So when I look at the junior sales reps on the team, you know, the BDRs, the SDRs, we're at a size now where we have a training curriculum. We, we know how to get somebody onboarded in those roles, who our target market is, our, our standard cadences and templates, how to use video, obviously. And so we actually prefer a lot of the time, probably 80 to 90% of the time, hiring somebody without any B2B sales experience somebody who maybe worked in retail, worked door to door, or is straight out of school and having a nice balance of that. And then we mix in, you know, 20% of people who are BDRs or sales reps before at other companies uh, in the B2B space, whether it's software or not, because they don't have those bad habits. They don't have those expectations of what the role is going to be. So you can mold them into that. 
So that's one thing. The second thing is to your point of, you know, if I'm hiring an account executive, they've got to have done sales before in a software company. Although a lot of the time they are going to know the right things to do. You also have to watch for what software they were selling. We fell into this trap early at Vidyard where we hired a lot of people who were from software previously. They were at bigger companies, uh, you know, database software, things like that, that is a known product that they're replacing or they are, you know, upgrading. It's a very, very different space than selling something that nobody's ever bought before, like Vidyard. Nowadays, people have actually bought some video software, but back then, especially, nobody was even thinking about video software. We had to prove to them not only why video, but then that you have to actually pay for hosting. So it was a whole different ballgame. And so what we looked for is more someone who has sold something that isn't replacing another product. So it doesn't matter if, you know, telecom is a, a good example of one that isn't a great fit. Although I came from telecom, so I can't say necessarily it's not going to work. So <laughs> yeah. you just have to be careful in those industries to make sure that the person isn't just there as a, a margin player. Like, oh, I'll give you, you know, a lower price and I'll take a hit on the margin and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got to find somebody who's sold a new product like BlackBerry was back in the day when I was selling yeah. BlackBerry Enterprise servers. And, you know, although it wasn't software and, and servers, uh, SaaS it was still something that nobody's paying for currently. So you had to convince mm -hmm. them a new thing. Yeah. And yeah. that's key for us. So it's, you got to understand what your business is and match that to the persona of the person you're interviewing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes back to the great advice in the sales acceleration formula from Mark Robert's, right? Knowing who are your buyers, where does your company sit in the market and what communication style does it take to succeed in that sort of sales environment? And so I love what you're saying there is not just kind of blanket, have they sold B2B? Have they sold software? Have they sold tech? But what are the nuances there that are just one level deeper that are going to tell you, are they going to be successful? Were they at, you know, Oracle and not to say that every salesperson at Oracle, but is just an order taker, but where they had a big name brand where it was just order taking a little bit of competition, playing the margin game. You know, I've, I've sold B2B in the marketing space now for a year and a half, very different from 10 years of selling copiers B2B. So selling in those old school tech industries, I can relate to you there, Dan, in selling telco. So let's go to that next point that you alluded to earlier is, you know, finding those grinders. Maybe you don't necessarily, I think the term hustle or grinding, it has some bad connotations out there right now, but I think the word I like to use more often is grit. Someone who exudes that, that they are going to own their number. They are not going to just settle for the circumstances, make excuses. They're going to do everything in their power, knowing that some things are out of their control, but still keep pressing on. Tell us a little bit about kind of that I guess the mental characteristics that you look for as you're hiring, and then we'll talk a little bit about onboarding as we wrap up today, man. Yeah, the Mark Robert's book you mentioned is an amazing book in general, but it also talks about this topic specifically where it's like, how do you identify somebody who's going to be intrinsically motivated to solve their problem as opposed to just waiting for success to come to them? And it is a tough one to monitor. So we we do this in two ways, which flows into kind of the, the final point I wanted to cover was what we do during our interview process and, and what uh, Mark Robert did in his book. He took it to kind of a mathematics level. You know, we weren't smart enough to do that. But in our case, we set this challenge down right at the interview stage. So it's, you know, when they come in for the very first interview as a sales rep and account executive, 
the questions we're asking is like, what research have you done? What have you done proactively? So you're testing, like, did you actually do a bunch of work to get here? One of my early mentors, uh, who's now over at Microsoft, when I was at BlackBerry, when I was leaving BlackBerry, he told me, you know, you, you've got to prepare for that interview when you go to Salesforce. You need to know what their product does. You need to know who their buyers are. What are their current customers? What pains are they solving? Before you even go to the first intro interview. And that's what we look for now. It's like, did people actually put the effort in or, you know, oh, great, my resume got selected. I showed up today. Because that's going to be the way they're going to be six months from now. Maybe for the first few months, they'll really push. But if they're not, you know, really putting the effort in for the interview, what are they going to do six months to a year from now? So that's the one way we're testing to see. And then when we move it into the second interview, you know, even if they didn't prep really well, but they sound like they've got a chance, we'll give them that feedback pretty directly and say, you know what, but we're still going to move you to the second interview. And the second interview is a sales force. If you're familiar with their hiring process, it's one of their tactics where we give them a, a PowerPoint and we give them a case study of a fake company. And we say, you're going to come in and you're going to be the Vidyard account executive. I'm going to be the VP of marketing. Dave will be the VP of sales and Steph will be the digital marketer. And you need to pretend like you're selling to us and run through a disco call. And so that's going to require a lot of prep, but right there that gets into, they start their onboarding two months before they start because they have to prepare for this interview. Now, some people say, you know, it's a lot of work. Are you putting them through too much? We give them the PowerPoint. We give them the case study. You know, realistically, you don't need to be spending more than two or three hours preparing for this interview which I think is a reasonable time. Now, my mentor always told me I should be spending like 10 plus. He's a very methodical guy though, so I, I don't necessarily spend that much time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, then we look for in this interview, like do they understand our value prop? Have they looked at our customer? Like it's all customer centric. So if they haven't even looked through our customer case studies, that's kind of a bad sign. It's like you should know why a customer would buy Vidyard when you come in for the interview. Otherwise, how are you going to then pitch this fake customer? You know, you might roll through some discovery questions, but do you really know the ROI? Have you figured out why our customers buy us? And that's going to show their grit. That's going to show their intrinsic motivation just in general, but also for the role. Yeah, man, I, I love what you're saying here. I just have to try and recap a little bit here for listeners because you gave five really specific points on scaling your team, not relying too much on recruiting and HR, which I love the way you just approach recruiting with your sales head on. That should be a natural segue for a lot of us in sales leadership. Look at community involvement as another funnel for potential candidates. Think about that life raft analogy from the book you mentioned and balancing out the skills that you need Number four, you know, finding the people with with the grit, and then number five, really onboarding them uh, and testing for that during the interview and setting yourself up to to kind of test and probe for that a little bit during the interview process. Dan, this has been a great conversation, man. It's given me some things to think about and hopefully our listeners as well. If anybody listening to this would like to stay connected with you or reach out, ask any follow-up questions on this or see if you guys are hiring at Vidyard, anything like that, what's the best way for people to reach out or find you, man? Yeah, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn if you just want to connect. But also my email is really simple, dan at vidyard.com. Always open to uh, having a conversation either on Zoom or via email. And definitely check out our podcast here at Vidyard that talks a lot about these sales topics, which is creating connections.
Awesome, man. Yeah, definitely. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, talking about you know creating connections with video, some stuff there for marketers, but definitely for B2B sales professionals as well. Um, go and check that out and make sure you connect with Dan and his sales managers that are out there sharing uh, behind the scenes look at uh, life over at Vidyard these days. Dan, this was a great conversation, man. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the B2B Sales Show. To make sure you don't miss future episodes with sales leaders, professionals, and thought leaders, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.